This is the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss and eternity. Welcome to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode 41. I'm really excited today to present a very raw and unique conversation with John Halabi. John candidly shares about his difficult childhood, his brief stint in professional boxing, and his more than decade-long struggle with drugs. This story is one of incredible transformation, as John shares about encountering Jesus and entering a whole new lifestyle as a business owner and person of incredible faith. Just a warning to listeners that this episode does contain some heavy themes, including discussions around domestic family violence. And I hope you're really inspired by and enjoy this conversation with John Halabi. I grew up all over the place, to be honest. Um, I was born in Westmead Hospital and um, I grew up out around Maryland's area for a few years. Then my mum and my dad broke up, so they got a divorce and um, we sort of just were trying to run away from him a fair bit. So um, we were just moving around places all the time, so... We moved out to Greystains and then um, out southwest to Campbelltown area. So it was just all over the place. Was that pretty rocky experience? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a good experience because I just could never sort of get grounded. I guess um, friendship wise and school wise, we're always moving because we're just trying to run away from my dad. It's just it's just not something for a kid to always be moving, always changing schools. I think I changed schools about seven times growing up. So it was just one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And you and your mum were close through that? Um, yes and no. She has gone through her own battles, I guess. My dad was very abusive growing up. Mm. Um, she endured a, a lot. Um, so, I think with her in doing what she did go through, she sort of just shut her emotions off. And um, when my mum and dad sort of broke up, she was just working a lot, obviously, to sort of try to keep us afloat. And I was sort of with my nan a lot more than my mum. Mm. So, um we were closer in a sense, but we were distanced in a sense, in a sense as well, because obviously she wasn't there as much. Yeah. Um, growing up. And what memories stand out to you from those early years? That's a hard question. There's a few good ones and there's a few bad ones, I guess. Um, probably the bad ones, just the abuse that my dad put us through, I guess, and just putting through what what he put up put our family through, I guess, was that was probably the hardest one. And just seeing my mum always upset, that that sort of broke my heart. But um. At the same time, like it, my family was very close, like my mum's side with my nan and my auntie and all that sort of stuff. We all they all rallied together to sort of keep us um, going. But yeah, that that was probably the best best experience for my childhood. And how aware were you at that age that of these experiences and how it was affecting you, or did it just become your normal? I think you you realise it pretty quick at that age when you're going through that sort of stuff. You sort of had to mature a lot quicker. Um, you sort of try to protect your mum as much as you can, I guess. Now you grow up, you grow up quick, so you definitely realise what's going on, what's not normal, and what is normal. Mm. Um, when you don't go to school sometimes because you're black and blue with bruises and stuff like that, wow. and you're missing out on school a lot, um, that's probably a hard experience for for any kid. But at the same time, it teaches you a lot of lessons as a person. Mm. Like for me, when I have a family, I never want my family to ever go through what I went through. So. I see the positives with the negatives in that sense. Yeah. Wow. And so, for you, was was school a bit of an escape? Did you enjoy school? No, I didn't enjoy school at all. I actually hated school. Wow. <laughs> I used to get picked on a lot. 
when you go through that sort of thing, I think at home, you have a sort of a personality that stands out because you want to try to fit in with the people that are at school. So, I think you over exuberate your sort of, you try too hard to try to fit in. Sure. And um, I think people can sense when you're insecure mm-hmm. and then they sort of pounce on that insecurity, which is the hardest thing, I think. And um, now my, my school life wasn't the easiest, but that's okay. It's part of life. It hardens you up, I guess. And what about like religion or spirituality or God? Do you have a first memory of anything like that? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm actually um, Christian Maronite or Catholic Maronite, um, Lebanese, and they're very straightforward. Like you, the women sit on one side of the church and the men sit on another side of the church and it's just very straightforward. So, that's the first thing and it's just the, it's just the same thing over and over again every week. That's the first sort of um, insight I had to God. Then my mum met a, um, a man after her divorce with my dad and he introduced, introduced us to Hillsong out in the Hills campus. So, that was the first moment that I um, in, like was introduced to Hillsong, I guess. And how old were you then? I think I was seven. Okay. Yeah. Little. Yeah, and a little, yeah. And how, how did that come across? Is that weird? <laughs> I know. It was weird for me because, yeah, I was in, at a church that was just singing every song the same time over and over again with being a Catholic and then we're going to a church where everyone's happy, everyone's dancing around, everyone's having an amazing time and um, it was just an, a different experience for me. That was my escape, mm-hmm. I think, growing up. Like, okay. I think where I felt like I was safe and I was at home mm-hmm. most when I went to church, yeah. And did you connect with the message or was it more of the church experience? No, just the church stuff. Like, I was mm-hmm. obviously, as a young kid, you don't really go there for the messages and stuff. You just go in there for friends and all that sort of stuff. And um, we went, I went on all the camps and stuff like that as well. So, no, that was good. Oh, wow. Yeah. And did you stick with that through your teenage years? Definitely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, I actually got kicked out of home when I was 14. Wow. Uh, 14, 15 years old. And oh, um, wow. I veered away from God pretty big. But... Look, that was my fault. I was actually a very, very um, hard kid to sort of deal with. And um, I didn't really give my mum any other options, I guess. And she had to do what she had to do, sort of teach me a lesson. And um, I'm thankful for the lessons that she taught me, though, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So, I'm glad she did what she did. What was that like at the time? What did that look like? Were you homeless? Yeah, look, I, I have been homeless a few times in my life. That was one of them, but one of my mates, him and his mum took me in after a couple of weeks. I was just all over the place. But growing up, I was just one of those kids that would always be hanging around the wrong sort of people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think I got in trouble with the police at the first time at 14 for robbing somebody. Um, got arrested, criminal record, everything like that. Um, but yeah, growing up, I always found myself just in the wrong positions as well. You know what I mean? Um, what do you put that down to? I guess not just not having like a fatherly figure there. Mm-hmm. That was a hard thing for me. Um, and also, my mum not being there for like not because she intentionally not wanted to be there. She was a hard working woman. Yeah. Um, working three jobs sometimes and um, just trying to put food on our table and I just didn't appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, just not having anybody there to sort of tell me what to do and what not to do. I think yeah. that was probably the hardest thing. So, at a church like Hillsong, they would preach, um, you know, about God as a father. Did you see God in that way at all? Back then, I definitely didn't. Now, I definitely do though. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Did you have a bit of a vision of your future? Did you know what you wanted to do? Mm. Um, I always wanted to be an architect, to be honest. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know what it was. I liked drawing, I guess. Um, but... I definitely didn't have a vision of where I would be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was hard for me to say because like I said, I was hanging around all the wrong sort of people, doing mm-hmm. the wrong sort of things. From yeah. 14 to about 17, I was just out of control, you know what I mean? Always in fights, always um, rebelling against um, authority, I guess. And 18, I sort of got introduced to drugs and that was just downhill slope there for me from there. Um, but in saying that as well, I, I got my trade in sheet metal engineering between 15 and 18. So that was probably the best thing that I could have ever done because it set me up for the future. So sheet metal engineering, what does that mean? <laughs> um, it's it's air conditioning, like ductwork for air conditioning, but we have to do like air schematics and all that sort of stuff. It's it's pretty in depth, but no, it set me up. It got me sort of on the straight and narrow a little bit, um, but I didn't really use it during my teenage years or my young adult life. It sort of veered away from that. It was drug dealing and all that sort of thing. So I just thought easy money is the best money for me, but it wasn't, I guess. Why was that? just got me involved with the wrong sort of people. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 20, I actually was involved with some pretty bad people and um, I got caught with a lot of drugs on me. I had to do what I had to do to sort of stay out of jail, you know what I mean? And um, it was hard for me to do it, but it turned a lot of people against me and it sort of taught me a lot of lessons, you know what I mean? And it's just one of those things, you know what I mean? Where you look back on life and you wish you'd done things differently, that's probably one of them. I wish I just never ever got involved in that sort of circle of friends and that sort of lifestyle. Yeah. But drug addiction is something that I've definitely battled with since I was, since a very young age. Mm. Um, I'd always sort of go back to it because it was easy for me. It's like I'd, it's just like having a pothole in your life and it's going in a big circle. You jump out of the pothole, you do a big loop and you come back to the pothole and instead of going around it, you go back into it, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it was just an easy life for me. And um, it was only until I found God recently, um, back in 2017, well, last year, sorry, in March that I sort of gave that lifestyle up completely. Amazing. And then just jumping back to teenage years, yep. you also got into boxing. I did, yep. So when I was um, about 16, I thought I might might as well put all this anger to good use. Um, okay. Started training for boxing. Did um, somebody, was there like a teacher figure that got you onto that or you just kind of thought of it? No, I just thought I'd go down and give it a try. So I found a boxing gym near my place. Wow. Um, went down there. Always wanted to do it growing up, but my mum never let me. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, it was too violent. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, I just sort of got into it then because I was obviously out of home and had a lot of anger inside of me because yeah. of things that I'd been through in my life and um, I wanted to try and sort of put that towards something, you know what I mean? And But over the two years that I'd done it, it just never really went anywhere. Um, and then obviously I found that lifestyle of taking drugs and partying and all that sort of stuff when I turned 18 and drinking every weekend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that just took a back step. At that time when you're in that kind of party scene and dealing drugs and all that sort of stuff, did you feel satisfied at the time? Were you happy at no, the time? No, you never do. No. And anyone that says that they are doing that sort of thing is out of their mind. Okay. It's such a hollow life. And um, for me, I think, I, I think God has put me through what he has put me through and shown me what he has shown me so I can then minister to other younger people to never ever go down that track and never go down that road. Um, and so, just try to do things the right way because for me um the more drugs i dealt the more drugs i was taking mm-hmm. and the more shallow the hollow life i was living it was just it was just, it's just a big circle yeah mm. and did you have a sense that any of it was wrong or just unsatisfying you don't really think of it as wrong to be honest mm-hmm. um you've got like a sense of just not caring about the authority and we we obviously growing up you hate the police 
for the things that they're doing. But they're obviously trying to help you as much as much as they can. They're not out there just saying no to drugs for a reason. Drugs ruin people and um, it ruined my life for so many years. And it was my, it had a chain around me for so, so many years. And um, yeah, that's definitely probably my biggest regret in my life is ever getting involved in that sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. And so when you got caught with the drugs, yeah. was that kind of rock bottom? Was that a turning point? No, not at all. For me, it wasn't rock bottom. Like I, obviously I got caught. I just obviously didn't even care. Like I was so addicted to drugs and so addicted to the party scene. I think I stopped for like three months and then mm-hmm. I moved out to the eastern suburbs and it literally just kicked back off again. So as much as I tried to get away from that scene, it sort of always just found me. I always found friends that um, were into it and getting involved in it. So, yeah. Mm. And what about the church crowd that you had known? Did you have any connection with them? The ones from when I was young? Yeah. No, definitely not. As soon as I turned 14... God took a back, like the back step for me, and um, mm-hmm. I just sort of veered away from God all altogether. Mm-hmm. Did it ever factor into your thinking? <sighs> I had a girl try to take me back to Hillsong once, and I went back and I was like, "No, nah, this is not for me." Okay. In fact, I just never thought God was there for me because of the stuff that I'd been through. Mm. Looking back on it now, I just I definitely see that He had a hand of um, sort of guidance and a hand of safety over me throughout mm. all those years. When I look back at certain situations how wrong they could have actually gone. It's definitely a blessing. It's definitely a blessing, the stuff that I've seen and the stuff that I've done. Wow. I'm always interested because different people I've interviewed have had different answers to this. When you weren't sort of walking with God or going to church or whatever, was it that you no longer believed or was it that you believed and you felt like in your case that God had abandoned you? That's a tough question. <laughs> um, I felt like God had abandoned me. So you felt like he existed, but um, he wasn't good. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I, I just had a thing, if God was real, why would he do this to me? Mm. If God was real, why would he put me through what he had put me through? Not even just as a teenager, as a young kid. Yeah. When you're getting beat up day in, day out, you just ask yourself, why would God sort of do that to you? You know what I mean? So. Yeah. It's a tough question. Definitely. Yeah. So you continued on that path, living in the eastern suburbs, yep. and you—that was your career as well. Like that's how you were making your money. Um, yes and no. Like I'd always have labouring jobs and stuff like that. But probably from twenty to twenty-seven was probably the the toughest sort of um, stage of my life. It's um, a long time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I found myself homeless twice, and I think the most recent one was when I was about twenty-four. Um, this is probably the hardest part I think of it all I just had no money nothing could not eat and it was the middle of winter time and I just remember my friend lent me his, lent me his car sorry and um, I was living out of his car and I literally had to put every bit of clothing I owned on just to stay warm and I was sleeping out of his, out of his car for about two weeks and um, I think that's probably the hardest stage of my um, young adult life yeah I bet there's a real stigma around homelessness as well there is there is um and i think a lot of people will say that you got yourself into this mess and it's your fault they're in this mess so you need to get yourself out of it but it literally is so easy to get into that sort of um that sort of thing and and if it wasn't for the people that that sort of reached out to me at the time 
then I'd probably still be there to be honest. And it was people that I wasn't really close with either. It was just people that I sort of knew and mm. they found out about the situation that I was in and um, sort of just reached out to me and sort of just gave me a hand, helping hand. And that, to me, that that's a God moment there. That's, a, that's where God's sort of reaching out and saying, I'm still here for you and these people are helping you. But I didn't see it as that. I just felt that they were just doing it because they felt like they wanted to help me. And so you got through that period. Yep. What did life look like after that? It was still, look, uh, until last year, it was it was just the consistency of partying from Monday to Sunday. Like, even when I'd be going to work, if I had work on, if I had anything like that, I'd still be doing drugs. I'd still be doing all that sort of thing. It was tough. Mm-hmm. I was always in and out of relationships. Just could never, ever sort of settle down. And I think that comes down to my own insecurities that I was an insecure person because... I had that sense of abandonment from my parents mm-hmm. and I felt like everybody was going to leave me. So, when I'll be in a relationship, um, I would self-sabotage that relationship just so they could not help hurt me. I would hurt them and I'd cut ties with them. So, it was just a consistent life of always hurting people and not thinking about the way I was hurting them and just thinking about myself more so than anything. Wow. So, that, yeah, self-preservation exactly was really right. ingrained. Yeah. And so, 2017 yeah, was your a big change. Yeah. <laughs> what? Because it had been quite a long time of the same sort of lifestyle. Yeah. What actually instigated change for you? So, 2016, I was boxing full-time. Um, yeah. So, I gave it a proper crack. I'd won the New South Wales title in 2015. How did you get back there? <laughs> um, well, t- when I was 20, I sort of just got back into the sort of boxing and wanted to give it a, um, give it a try. and. But I was always still partying, always still doing drugs, always still drinking and um, going down that sort of road. But always had boxing there to sort of try to help me a little bit. There'd be moments where I'd sort of give all that up to try and box. But then I'd always find myself back into that. But um, 2016, I said to myself, okay, if you want to give it a proper try, give it a proper try. And um, I was boxing full time and um, my nan, which was like my mum, passed away two weeks before my fight wow! and um, that was probably the hardest time for me and I ended up losing the fight. It was a pretty big fight for a title which was hard and I think I hit rock bottom from that percent, from that point on and for like three months I just absolutely destroyed myself which was, um, which was hard but 2017, wow, I'd been partying for like a week straight and I sort of finally fell asleep and I had a dream that my nan was just so disappointed in me. Like it, it was, it felt real as well. Like it was just one of those dreams. I just felt like it, she was there next to me. You know what I mean? And I just said, I need to change my life and Google churches and Hillsong was around the corner from me. So yeah, I haven't left since. Wow. Yeah. So why do you think that your go-to was to Google churches? To be honest, I have no idea. It was just the first instinct for me because obviously um, I feel like church is a safe place. I've always struggled with the insecurities and feeling um, accepted and I just remember my early childhood is just seeing my mum and my stepdad just really happy at church. Mm. So, I think I just thought back to then um, and thought of it as a safe place for me. The moment I walked into that place, I just felt the love. I think that was the biggest thing for me. I think that's what drew me back to go back there every week because everybody, no matter what walks of life they've come from and no matter who they are no matter how old they are i think they just accept you for who you are that was a big thing for me acceptance i think so yeah and did you walk in on your own i did wow yeah, can you talk us through 
that experience? So I had the dream on Friday and on Sunday, so I was, it was 9.30, I saw there was a 9.30 service and I walked in and um, I remember meeting a guy named Michael, absolutely incredible person. Um, he's like, hey mate, you seem a bit lost, are you okay? And I literally just felt like breaking down and I was like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he sort of got speaking to me and um, he said, you're new to church, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And um, he goes, let me buy your Bible. And that small thing, just something so small, like him reaching out to me to buy a Bible, um, I think just changed my whole life. That's amazing. Yeah. And during that service, you connected with the message or more? I definitely did. I okay. felt like God was speaking straight to me. Okay. Um, and What did he say? Just that I had come home pretty much. He was talking, I think, I'm pretty sure, I, I don't know if this was the second or the first service, um, it was just talking about lost souls and how that we feel like we have a self, like a sense of um, victimhood and that was definitely me. I felt like the Lord owed me something, you know what I mean? And I remember giving my life to God, I think the first time I came in, it was either the first or second time and I don't, I don't think I've cried like that for years before. Like I'd cried before but I never cried like that and mm. um, it was it just felt like the whole world of, world of, weight of world, it was just off my shoulders, you know what I mean? It was just like I felt like a new person. Wow. And so, what did the days after look like? Did life really change instantly for you? Legitimately was an instant change for me. Okay. Um, I was dating a girl at the time and um, she wasn't really sort of acceptant of the of me going to church. She'd mm. always just be saying to me, why are you going to church so much? But I knew that God had a plan for me from that moment and um, I just found myself just wanting to go to church more and more mm. because I felt love there. I hear a lot of people saying, oh, if I walked into church, I'd burst into flames. <laughs> um, but I think it's the complete opposite to that. I think people need to understand that church is a place that people can come to and feel like they are at home and um, feel accepted no matter who they are and what they have done in the past. The moment that you walk into church and the moment that you give your life to God and say, God, I'm, I'm, here, to help, I'm here to help people and I'm here for you, I think God just alters your life and um, he makes it better and he uses the people, the things in your past to benefit others. Wow. It's really good. So, in a practical sense, like what did change? I wish I could tell you. Honestly, I, it felt, I can't even, I don't even know myself to be honest. Mm. I battled drug addiction from 17 to 27, mm -hmm. so 10 years of um, drug addiction and in that instance, the shackles were completely broken. I think I went back to drugs once and I beat myself up for about three weeks afterwards. So, when I say that they were instantly broken, they were legitimately instantly broken. Wow. Yeah. So, there's a whole lifestyle that comes along with that. Yep. Did you need to remove yourself or how did that, that go? Yeah, I did. Um, was that hard? It was, it was extremely hard. Um, you don't realize how much of an influence the people around you make. We go through life and we surround ourselves with people that do drugs or aren't good people or anything like that. And we don't realize how much of an influence they are on us because we don't want to judge those people. So, then we sort of bring ourselves down to their level. And I think that's what I was doing. Nothing against those people. Those people are amazing people, but they're just not the right people for me. And I will never ever judge somebody. But if they want to live that lifestyle, then that's on them. That's not on me. I don't want to live that lifestyle anymore. And I felt like the more I sort of wanted to get away from that life, the more friends I was losing. But in April, I sort of started a business for air conditioning and um, I found a lot of people sort of hated me for that. 
because I gave drugs up. I felt like I had started a business. I started going to church. I was spending all my time at church with people that I hadn't really hung around with before. And I think a lot of my old friends sort of got offside on me because of that, you know what I mean? Was that difficult to, I guess, have positive change in your life and have it not well received by the people you loved? It was heartbreaking, yeah, definitely. Mm. People that you think that are going to be part of your life forever um, are no longer there anymore. It is heartbreaking. It is. But hopefully one day they can see me for the new person I am and not the person I was. And I think that was that's probably the biggest thing for me. Yeah, I feel like people will always judge you for the person that you were and not the person that you have become. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was definitely the instance with them. They always saw me as the person that I was and not the person I was becoming. And um, I think the person I was becoming was a lot better than the person I was, but they couldn't accept that. Do you see it as a new person or a different stage of life like how do you see it you are a completely new person okay um for me especially like when i look back on myself a year ago from today i don't even recognize myself Mm. i am a new person through god and i'm a new person through the people that i've surrounded myself with that is the biggest thing for me the biggest thing is the people you surround yourself with you will ultimately come if you surround yourself with these people that are going to consistently put you down and you're going to feel bad about yourself then that's the way you're going to feel and you're going to go through life with that that consistent train of thought. But with the people that I've found now and the people that I'm surrounding myself with now, all they do is they will put you before they put themselves and that is every single person in this church and every single person I surround myself with, they put your needs before they put their own needs and I think that's the biggest thing for me. That is why I feel so loved there. And so you started this business. Tell us about that journey. How's that looking? <laughs> Um, what can I say? Um, so April, I registered my business. So I was working for myself, um, by myself for a company for about three months. I learned a lot. And, um, one day I got a phone call of a contractor asking if I knew anyone that needed it. Like that was an air conditioning tech. I said, I didn't know anybody. And then he said to me, if you want to come work for me sometime, just let me know. This is what I'm offering. Um, you can bring someone along with you and they can work with you as well. So, um, I got given the opportunity there, but at the time I was like, you know what? I'm comfortable where I am. I'm earning an okay amount of money. The only, th- the only bad thing at that sense was there was no, there was no sort of space to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I sort of just thought about it for a couple of days. I rang up my mum and she said, John, just stay where you are. You're earning a good amount of money. That's all that matters. If you go to this new job, you don't know what's going to happen. They might use you for a couple of weeks and then they might get rid of you. You're not sure. And then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, she's probably right. And that was a Friday afternoon. And um, Saturday morning, I was going through SoundCloud and I stumbled across a um, podcast from TD Jakes, Letting the Fear of Failure Go. I listened to it and that literally altered, like changed the whole direction of my whole entire life. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that was a powerful message. TD Jakes is some teacher. After listening to that, I was like, this is God speaking to me 150%. So I took the opportunity. I hired somebody. So I had two people work, me and myself, were working, uh, myself and somebody else were working together uh, for this contractor. And then from that moment, it just sort of blossomed. And every couple of weeks, they were asking to, for me to take someone else on and take someone else on and take someone else on. And from July to December, I ended up hiring six people. And um, I've got a proper air conditioning company now. It's not no longer a sole trading business. It's actually a PTY. And um, God's grace and God's favor on my life has just been something to sort of stand back and be in awe of. 
it's I, I can't I can't describe it. Honestly, can't describe it. it. If you had told me a year ago that I would be owning my own business, my own company, and it'd be going as well as it is, I would have laughed at you. Hmm, it's quite miraculous. Yeah, it's been a big turnaround. And what's it like for you being a boss and managing people? It has its ups and downs. Yeah. You've got to realize that um, as a boss, actually, I'm not a boss. I'm a leader because mm-hmm. there's a difference between that, I think. Um, and I think 2017, I learned a lot about that where at first I wanted to be a boss. I didn't want to listen to anybody else when I first started my business and it was my way or the highway, you know what I mean? Where now I've sort of taken the sort of the outlook on it now that everybody there is help, there to benefit you and God's put those people in your life for a reason. So for me, I'll go to work now and I'll take everyone's opinions in. And if I think it's a good opinion, then I'll try to go down that sort of road. If I don't think it's good, then I won't sort of go down there. But I'm, I'm happy to sort of be that leader instead of a boss, for sure. Mm, it's good. You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast, episode number 41 with John Halabi. You can listen to a range of other amazing interviews in this series by tuning in on SoundCloud or at Apple Podcasts, like episode 39 with Margaret Stunt. I just thought if there was a God, where was he? So if I, if I thought about it, it'd be like, well, if there is, why has all this happened? The big questions. Yeah. You know, where were you? Mm. And why? And why do I have crazy parents? And why does nobody really care about me? And why do I have to do everything myself? And why do I have to be this independent? And why can't I just have a baby like everybody else? Why can't it be normal? Yeah. And then there was no answer, so I just carried on. Mm. So you carried on, but your marriage hit a difficult place. Yeah, I think because we we never stopped loving each other, yeah. but we got busy. As many people who are listening are doing the same thing even right now, we get busy. And nobody, we didn't sit down one day and think, let's destroy our marriage. No. <laughs> nobody does that. No. no one. It just, it creeps in. It's It's like... He was working, I was working, we lived outside London. We just got very, very disconnected. Um, And I'm very stubborn. I was even more then. Um, (laughs) And I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. And I really was afraid he was going to reject me. Okay. So fear for me is always a driver. Yeah. I know now God leads, but fear drives. Wow. Um, and so I was driven. I thought he's going to reject me. So before he rejects me, I'm going to reject him. That was an excerpt from my conversation with Margaret Stunt in episode 39. And now back to this episode with John Halabi. And then having been through so much in your life, especially as a kid and through your early years, has becoming a Christian, um, you spoke about like the analogy of chains being broken. Have you found that you've kind of had instant healing from that stuff or is that like a journey? No, definitely not. You don't, you can't sort of have instant healing from something that you've been through like that. Yes, there has been healing, Mm -hmm. but you still have those days where you go through moments where you're like, am I actually good enough for this to happen too? Am I actually a good enough person? Do people Mm -hmm. like me? There's a lot of insecurities there, but... When I find I'm going through those insecurities now, I think God comforts comforts me more than ever. Mm. You know what I mean? Like um, if I'm going through a day where I'm struggling a lot, I'll just pray. I'll sit there, even if I'm at work, if I'm going through a moment where I'm going, like I feel like the world is just crashing down around me, 
I'll just sit there and pray. Yeah. And um, this story probably seems a bit far-fetched, but I kid you not, like um, at the end of last year, I had sort of branched out and I was working for two contractors and um, the new contract that I'd, have taken, that I'd taken on, he was just adding more and more and more to the contract sort of thing. So and I was like, mate, I'm not doing that. And um, so I had two boys working for him and I said to him, I'm not working for you anymore. Today will be the last day. And legitimately in half an hour, the contract that I had been working for for a long time came up to me and goes, mate, could you reckon you could take two more people on? So the two people that I'd taken off the old contract, I'd found a place straight away. And that's God's hand in my life straight away, you know what I mean? Mm. But with that, you have to expect that God is going to help you. Mm. You can't just ask for God to help you and not expect that God's going to help you. For me, I've got a steely conviction that God will always have my back and will always sort of strengthen me through the tough times. You know Mm. what I mean? I think that's what sets me apart because I know what it's like not to have God in my life and I never want to ever want to go back to that. Mm. So for me, God is my everything and God has helped me through the moments that I never thought I'd be ever get through, but I've got through because of him. And whilst like it's obviously a massive positive change, have you also had hard times since you met God? <laughs> Probably, no, I actually no. can't. I'm not like, I, to be honest, I haven't really thought about any hard times. Everyone says to me, oh, the bad times will come, the bad times will come, the bad times. You're <laughs> going to go through a season that bad times will come, but I can't see that. Uh-huh. Because I know what bad seasons are. Yeah. And anything that I'm going through now is not a bad season. Mm. You know what I mean? It might be a bit of a dull season, but a bad season is being homeless. A bad season is not having food on your table. A bad season is all that sort of stuff. Mm. Okay. For me, I'm appreciative of what God's given me now. So, there's no such thing as a bad season now. There's a season where it's not as good as it was, but there's no such thing as a bad season. For anyone who's listening who's perhaps kind of in the stage that you're in as a teenager and young kid or maybe is like a parent or a friend of somebody like that what advice would you give is there anything that someone could have said to you that would have maybe pointed you to god or helped you in some way probably not i was actually a very stubborn person but if to all the young kids out there that are listening to this if i give you one bit of advice and if you are involved in drugs and all that sort of stuff do all you can to get away from it because you, there's three scenarios of what's going to happen to you when, you, when you're when you dealing with drugs. One, you're going to become an addict and probably die or end up in jail or anything like that. Two, you're going to end up in a gang or something that you don't want to end up and you'll probably end up in jail or killed. Or three, you're going to lose everybody in your life and you're going to feel dead inside. The drug culture in, in Australia, it just it confuses me so much. I've actually caught more criticism not doing drugs than when I was doing drugs. When you go out with people now and they're like, oh, do you want to do, like, do, you want to do this, do you want to do that? I'm like, no, nah, I don't do drugs. They're like, well, you're weird. Why would you not do drugs? And I think, I think Sydney is on a downhill slope to having a lot of people. Like even, I know I've heard of 14-year-olds and 13-year-olds that are doing MDMA and stuff at parties. Guys, just stay away from that stuff because it literally will take you nowhere but bad places. Find yourself some good friends that are going to make you level up in life and that are going to make you take you to the next level that you want to go because being cool and taking drugs and doing that that sort of stuff gets you nowhere. Mm. So, if that's my advice to anybody out there that, that is in that lifestyle, it doesn't last forever but you've got to want to make the change and you've got to want to be a different person for that change to happen. Mm. You can't just ask for the change and expect everything to happen 
Okay, you've got to want to take steps and want to make yourself a better person for those changes to happen. And I think that's that's what I was like. I want to I want I want to change my world. I want to do this. I want to do that. But I never took those steps. You've got to change something that you're doing daily and every day and every week and everything like that for that change to sort of happen. You can't be doing the same old stuff and everything is still going the same way and you expect something to change. It just doesn't work like that. Mm. And then with your family, obviously, you went through a very rocky period with them. Yeah. Has your um, relationship with God had any effect on your relationship with your family? Definitely has. I love my mom so much now and she loves me so much. I think the thing that hit me hardest was whenever I used to call her growing up, um, it was always for something and she sensed that on me and she was saying to me the other week, when you used to call me, I always knew it was something bad. I was thinking to myself, what now? What could it be now? And now there's just so much excitement, so much happiness in your voice. I'm actually excited to talk to you. And I think for me, that as a son, that is probably the biggest thing for me. Like, I think that's what, yeah, God is not only the resurrected for me, he's a resurrector and he's resurrected my life from where it was to where it is now. And um, I'll never be able to sort of forget what he has done in my life. People can say God's not real as much as they want, but my life is a walking testimony to how God works and how good God, God's grace is. My, my family my family life is definitely back on track and my family and I are like, they were close as and closer as we've ever been. So it's been really good. So good. And is boxing still part of your world? No, it's not. It served its purpose in my life. Mm. Um, I think without boxing, it could have been a lot worse for me. It sort of tried to keep me on the straight and narrow as, as much as it could. Mm. But as a business owner, you got to sort of prioritize what's important. You can't be a professional athlete and also own a, run a business. It's just impossible to do. You've got to mm. choose one or the other. And um, I've chose my business and I'm thankful for boxing for what it has done in my life. But mm. you just got to realize when your time's up for that sort of thing. Yeah, fair enough. And then just to kind of put on a cynical hat for a second, you know, some people would see like dramatic changes like yours and go, well, religion is great or church is great for people who need a big change, you know, or who need to get out of a rut. Like, how would you respond to that? How do you know that God is real and that it's not just like religion helped you out of a tough space? But what what do you mean by religion? Is religion believing in God or believing in something at a high power? Yeah. So how do you know it's not just like a nice, happy, clappy belief okay. that it's actually a reality? When someone like myself has battled drug addiction for 10 years of their life and for me to sort of give my life to Jesus and in an instant, literally, I've had no craving for drugs. I've never wanted to go back to that lifestyle ever again to sort of be broken. How can I don't understand how people can just say it's just a religion or it's just happy clappy. God has worked such amazing things through my life. So this time last year, I was struggling to eat. I couldn't afford to eat. I couldn't afford to pay rent. Mm. I couldn't afford to do anything. Mm-hmm. And my business is, I'm making more than a month's salary in a week now. Wow. So God, God has sort of changed my life so much. I think he's using me as a tool as well to sort of show people if this is what I can do with a broken vessel like John, imagine what I can do with your life. And um, it's it really is heartbreaking when I hear people say, "Oh, you have to take." It's I hear a lot from people is you have to take credit for your own for your own rising. I'm sorry. Okay. How? How do you do that? 
when I've tried for years and years and years to sort of get out of the rut that I was in and I give my life to God and the instant it's gone. So, for people out there that are struggling to believe that God is real, just look at my life and see what God's done in my life and um, it's pretty easy to see. Mm, beautiful. And what would you, like how would you describe the kind of core, the essence of what you believe? I believe that, that God wants us all to love each other. Like I think love is a massive thing. Um, generosity is also something big. For me, generosity is just something that, because that, I've seen what it's like not to have anything and I've seen what it's like to go Christmases without eating and and all that sort of stuff, not having family around. And I never ever, for me, compassion is a big thing as well. Like I just never ever want people to go through what I've been through. And if I can do anything to sort of stop that, then I feel like that, my, that God's done his job through me. Mm. Um, so my core belief is that just to love one another and to help one another and um, I think God is happy with that once once we do that. And has there been a particular scripture in the Bible or even a person in the Bible, story in the Bible that's been really special to you or significant to you? Uh, yeah, Philippians 4 verse 11 to 13. Not that I speak in regards to need, for I've learned that whatever state I am in, to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to be abound. Everywhere in, in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, but to be abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is by far the most, like, that's my favorite verse of the whole Bible, I reckon, so far. And why is that? It, it speaks to me a lot because even though when I was going through those hard times, I always seemed to find myself, like, trying to be happy and I always found myself to be content in whatever state I was, like, if I couldn't eat, I was like, okay, I've still got a roof over my head. Or if I couldn't afford to pay rent, I'd be like, okay, but I still have a roof over my head, but I'll find the money somehow. So I was always content in where I was. And um, now that I'm able to have food on my table and a roof over my head consistently and not struggle with money, I still wake up in the morning and I'm so grateful for the things that God's graced me with. And I think that's a big thing. I think God will continue to grace you if you're content with what he has given you already. Mm. Um, where... I speak to some people and they struggle with that. They're like, oh, I just don't have enough in my life. But you've got to understand that if you've got food on your table and you're able to sleep in a comfortable bed every night, then you've got a lot more than most people do. And you've got to understand that God is not going to gift you with more unless you're happy with what he's given you already. And for me, I wake up every morning and I look, I just look at the house that I'm living in and I look at the work that I'm going to and how much God has changed my life around and I just wake up with a big smile on my face every day. Mm. So even though God has um, a lot of his blessing in your life has come in the form of, of stuff, it's not about the stuff for It's you. no way, no way. Like yeah. when I, so when I first got my first job and I was a sole trader, mm. I kid you not, I would sit there and stare at my food for five minutes mm. because... I used to go days without eating that sort of stuff and for me to be able to sort of be full in my soul for the person I am mm. and be full in my stomach, that was a big thing for me. I was just happy with who I was at that time and I was happy who God was transforming me into mm. but I think that's a big struggle for a lot of Christians out there and a lot of people that they just don't see how good God is and how good God is to them especially mm. so they struggle with that sort of thing day to day. Wow, that's really good. Really good perspective. 
So Hillsong, being a Pentecostal church, really believes in the Holy Spirit and the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. How for you is that a reality or is it? There's probably two instances that I can think about, but the biggest one for me was um, a few weeks ago, there's um, a conference for people between 25 and 35 called SummerCon. It's mm-hmm. a Hillsong um Hillsong Conference and I remember before the last day, um, it was Saturday morning, um, it was the last sort of service and um, I had a moment with God before and I said, God, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable with you today. Um, if you're here with me, if the Holy Spirit's here with me today, just show me a little bit of emotion. And um, it was Michael Lovacci speaking and um, some speaker he is. It got to the end of the service and I was like, oh, okay. God must not be here with me today. That's understandable. I'll, there'll be another moment where I sort of encounter God. But I didn't realize that Mark hadn't finished yet. And um, he started calling people down the front. And he was just going through thing after thing. Like if you're going through depression, if you're going through this, if you're going through that. And none of that really hit me. And then he goes, I've got one last thing that I want to speak to people about today. If you ever feel like you've been abandoned in your life and you feel have that sense of abandonment, come down the front. And I literally just started crying and um, I don't think I've ever cried that hard in my whole entire life. I literally dropped down onto my hands and knees and it felt like God was pushing out everything that was the old me out of me completely and restoring me with all new things. And um, I'll never ever forget that experience. I think back at it now and I just I can't see anyone else around me. When I think back, I'm like, I'm literally looking down on myself and with no one else around me and um, it, I'll never ever doubt that the Holy Spirit is with me after that moment. That is honestly the most incredible thing I think I've ever experienced in my entire life. Amazing. Mm. That's so great. Yeah. And so for you, John, what are you hoping that the future looks like? I think the biggest thing for me is I want to use what God has showed me in my life to help other people. I think that's the biggest thing for me. If I can change one or two people's lives in my in my being here, then I think my job on this earth is done. Um, I just don't want people to make the same mistakes I've made in my life and I just don't want people to go through what I've been through. So for me, um, I'm studying to be, oh, I'm going to try to become a pastor eventually. Wow, um, so cool. I'm going to start college soon for that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what the future for me, that's what it holds. I want to change lives and... Um, there's some big, big things ahead for me and I, I definitely see what God's plan is for my life and um, I think that's a big thing, yeah. The Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast is hosted and produced by Rachel Hogan. If you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, send an email to hello at rachelahogan.com.